five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miklosh for the WDMA. Look at the Christmas trees today. It was really tricky getting them spaced right so that I could still be the WDMA. Right, that's better. And uh, I got two Christmas trees. I actually lost one, and then I bought one, and then I found one. <laughs> so we'll be a little bit festive today. Uh, but first, let's get over and watch the Royal Mail Christmas commercial. Um, it features hands, okay, hands. So uh, these are the hands, right? And uh, the hands of the delivery carriers. Here we go. Getting up in the morning, buttons his shirt, Kelly's with, with a baby. calm, carefree mind. I wander these streets. Have a lovely day. Pavement and open skies so clear and free. This weight of ink and paper, the only burden I carry. I like that. Past repeating houses the weight and of ink buildings. and paper, the only burden I carry. Surely freedom is a peaceful walk down a known route, greeting morning's people with smiles and stories. Hello, good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much. They're all in hand. I was once so bound by fate. But now I notice many little beautiful things. Oh, hands. Good hands. You're in good hands. Oops. Okay, you gotta hit the pause just before you end. That way YouTube figures it out. Okay, so let's get back to the stories of the day. And first, let's talk about that story. Okay, poetic postie. That's what they call the mail carriers in England, posties. Okay, and uh, that was narrated, that was written speci specially for the Royal Mail. And uh, the spot was created by AMV BBDO. It highlights the warmth and humanity between posties and customers. Uh, what I learned was that all mail is in the UK, sounds like all mail, is delivered by hand by people walking routes. Um, and it would work, you know, in, in the UK, when you get out into the country, you see these little villages and they're, 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 they're still row houses. I mean, they look like brownstones, uh, you know, in Manhattan or something, all connected together. And then those are road that goes around the village on the outside and there's like a common area in the middle like a park in the middle and then there's like sheep grazing and farm fields just outside the village just across the street so it's it's a very very um a very very efficient use of space now you know if you're having a fight with your wife you may not think it's the best all the neighbors will know but maybe that's a good thing too uh, and so, um, so, you know, the postal carrier could get to the village and then walk the route in the U S you know, in my zip code wouldn't work at all because the, the mailboxes are, you know, very far apart. I mean, it would take forever. So I'm okay with the little trucks. Uh, I always wave at the little trucks and, um, but I did learn that that was delivered by hand. And so, uh, the the managing director of marketing and digital at Royal Mail, I like how they differentiate digital from marketing, 
Why? Because it's not marketing, mostly. It's just throwing stuff at the wall, if you ask me. But anyway, uh, Royal Mail has such an important role to play during the festive period, and we're gearing up to deliver Christmas for our customers. Um, and uh, Roger Robinson was the poet that showed that. I would have liked to have seen some faces, I have to say. Uh, there was a baby face in there, uh, two, two baby faces, okay, before and after the rout. Um, but I would have liked to have seen the smiling faces, especially since the poem emphasizes that. Uh, posties are unique to Royal Mail, unlike other country, uh, courier companies that just have a man in a van. Posties are on your street, on foot, every day. They're a treasured part of the community and part of the fabric of Britain itself. We wanted to recognize them, and a poem seemed the fitting way to do that. Okay, and apparently there was a poem written called Night Mail, um, and I put a link in the show notes so that you can go there and read that poem from 1936 about the Royal Mail Posties. Okay, now... This is, we've heard this before, but, I, you know, maybe it's going to happen. <laughs> Google confirms January cookie deprecation. I'm not sure what deprecation means. I guess it means a phase out, but I thought it was like a, like an epithet, an insult to somebody when you deprecate that, their, their self-image. And to be clear, cookies are... First-party cookies aren't going away, just third-party cookies, just the tracking you around the, around the Internet, which has limited value, I would say. Anyway, um, so 1% of the third-party cookie blocking will begin in early January 2024. So that's just four or five weeks away, um, according to... Uh, and boy, jo it looks like Joram Hoffman. John, jo Joanne Hoffman, it's, it's, it's getting, I'm going to need some new, some more powerful glasses pretty soon. These are my theater glasses. And so I have to get some, I have to order some more glasses uh, in the next week or two, I think. <laughs> it, 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 never mind. I'm not going to tell you about my eyesight, but anyway, you got to roll, you got to, you got to, you've got to roll out, roll it, roll with it. Roll out with it, okay? The rollout's going to take a significant amount of time. I was I was surprised to learn that Google had negotiated this and developed this plan, the phase-out plan, with the UK's Competition and Markets Authority. So, and this is this may be a story. No, well, Laurie Sullivan. So it's probably the drum. Is that right? No, Media Daily. Okay, Laurie Sullivan. Is it Media Daily News? So. Um, I'm not sure if this is only in the UK. I'm guessing it's not. Um, but maybe they just developed it with their, with the UK's cooperation and away we go, right? Okay, so, um, they're planning a radical departure from ad targeting. You know, the assessments I've heard so far, and I have not really looked into it, but the assessments I've heard so far is it's a way for Google to strengthen their monopoly. Um, but they're calling them browser cookies, and they're describing them as scraps of information or little private notes left on a device or company or a computer by a website visited. A cookie is an interactive uh, piece of software, really, that 
when you go to different websites, it alerts the, the, the mothership of where you're going. Whereas this is more like, it sounds like it's more like a, a passive um, piece of text. We'll see. I haven't bothered to learn too much about it because it's been up in air, up in the air so long. Um, but if you're a cookie expert and especially a, an expert on the Google Sandbox, then I'd love to hear from you. Um, the Privacy Sandbox Initiative has been something they've been working on a long time. Okay, and you know they're also working on a consistent, uh, persistent identity across the internet, um, as Nikki Haley suggested. We should make everybody submit <laughs> submit photo identity, uh, you know, a photo ID to get on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, so that we all know who you are. And you know, I'm not for that. Not that my name isn't all over the internet, and you can find me on Twitter as John Miglash. <laughs> Search for that, right? Okay, so uh, this is an excellent article by Bob Bly. Really excellent article. Uh, he starts out with a with a comment about an article on John Ford's e-newsletter called the Copywriters Roundtable. Okay, which I'm going to have to look up, but I haven't seen it before. And in that article. John suggests it's next to impossible to write convincingly about something you either don't care about, don't believe in, or wouldn't do yourself. And um, Bob takes issue with that. He says, if that's really true, you know, how many things have you actually tried or gotten good at in your lifetime, right? Not that many. Um, and so... You know, how, how do you know if this is a, a worthy a worthy enterprise or not, right? Much less a brand new product that no one's tried. Okay, so for Bob, the solution is temporary belief. Okay, temporary belief. I like that. Okay, this means you convince yourself that the proposition is true and the product is wonderful during the time you are writing the copy. Okay. You start to believe in it. Getting into the believer's mindset is the surest way to, for you to write copy that motivates him to action. For instance, I know a copywriter, J.H. I couldn't think of anybody named J.H., although the, the previous author on the previous article about the Google Sandbox's initials are J.H., uh, who specializes in writing political fundraising and taking both left-leaning Democrats and... Also, right-wing Republicans. Is right-wing the same as right-leaning? <laughs> maybe it's maybe he only takes moderate Democrats, but he takes fully right-wing re Republicans. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> but J.H. explains that while he is writing copy, he serves as an advocate for his client, just as an attorney is obligated to give his clients the best defense possible. Right. So my formal training is in graduate work in, in philosophy. And that's pretty much what they teach you. They teach you the very first thing about sophistry, which was the, what the ancient Greeks called, uh, called <laughs> philosophy, was which, which they, I don't know if this was tongue in cheek, but they said was making the lesser appear the greater. <laughs> Which sounds exactly like copywriting and advertising to me. 
So that's so I have formal training in making the lesser appear the greater, right? But that's the first thing they told you. Unless you can unless you can defend your opponent's position well, really a, a defend it well, uh, then you don't understand it and you really can't defeat it. But once you can defend it well, then you know its weaknesses. And so in philosophy, and, you know, in high school I was in debate, and that was always a fun thing to do, was to debate the, the side you didn't believe in and see if you could pull that off. And the best debaters would, would, would switch sides uh, during the season, and that was absolutely great training. So with imagination, some imagination and thought, you can usually see the good in most products and things and use those to write with enthusiasm about them. As Joseph Kelly, Eisenhower's speechwriter, once said, there's a kernel of interest in everything made by man or God. And I think that's really been really true. So um, here's a tip that Bob shares. If possible, buy, borrow, or use the product you are writing about. This too can make your copy more specific and credible and make you like it more. So most of the stuff I share on this show daily is experiences that I've had as a, a consultant for a wide, wide range of things, right? So when I started working with Cabela's, yes, David, I mentioned Cabela's again. I took up hunting because I'd fished all my life, but I couldn't think of why people would want to sit out in the cold and freeze their butts off mainly in boredom <laughs> for a few seconds of of excitement and then a lot of drudgery and messy guck <laughs> so i told my wife cleaning a deer is like is like cleaning all at once all the fish you've ever caught in your entire life <laughs> yeah but you get a lot more meat out of it uh it is exciting um but you know on a good day you have a big job to do and deal with, and on a bad day, you freeze. <laughs> so both are kind of bad days, if you ask me. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. But I have found that taking up taking up the avocation or the product uh, of a client it really helps immensely. So for Horse and Rider magazine, I took riding lessons, and I actually got fairly messy guck, so to script it's the other David I was talking about who, you know, it's, it's his drinking game when I mentioned Cabela's. Now he can have a second drink. So anyway, uh, so I took up horseback riding. I've taken up uh, a lot of things, a lot of things I've gotten interested. Go on to different, different venues and, and entertainment and all kinds of stuff. So he, uh, Bob mentions pickleball. So I've never played pickleball. I, I kind of, I get I get how you play it. And I was open level in racquetball. So I was pretty good at that. Um, <laughs> right. The other David, David Bear will mention him explicitly. Okay. But I could understand how it would be exciting. And, and uh, after I had really really serious knee surgery i couldn't i couldn't take the four steps and then hit the ball uh that tennis required but i could take two steps 
in racquetball in the court. And if, if I couldn't stop because of my knee, I could at least run into the wall, which I did often. One of the first times I played racquetball, they, they, my opponent asked me if I, if I needed shoulder pads because I kept running into the walls. I thought that was a thing. You know, you had eye protection. Why shouldn't you have shoulder pads? But anyway, I got better. So anyway, so I'm empathetic enough to understand and appreciate why people enjoy pickleball and to generate temporary enthusiasm, which is the key. Maybe temporary enthusiasm is more than temporary belief. I would say so. That would be the way we would talk about it in philosophy or in debate even more. So by shifting your mindset to a state of temporary enthusiasm, you can write strong copy. This is a great tip. This is worth, this is gold here. Um, but sometimes you just can't do it. I remember, I remember a young lady coming up to me after one of my speeches at the catalog conference and asking if I would work with her uh, IT department. I said, and she said, I have a catalog. And I said, well, what, what, what do you sell? And she said, beachwear. And I said, well, what's the difference between beachwear and swimwear? And she said, I don't think what we produce would hold up in water <laughs> then she showed me these i guess you'd call them string bikinis <laughs> i also was asked once to do to to work with a catalog and it was a really interesting name it was something like it was something like leonard laboratories or something like that and it was actually created to help uh disabled veterans who'd been injured in military service um with you know, coming back to their wives and uh, being able to, you know, do something and when they really couldn't. And but it basically morphed into a, a uh, adult toy catalog. And so I turned down both of those things, just not because I didn't think they were worthy, uh, but I just couldn't muster enthusiasm for them. <laughs> and so. Sometimes products and activities you find unappealing or distasteful or you just simply can't muster enthusiasm for them no matter how hard you try. So I have no trouble with hunting. I took up hunting and I ended up owning whitetail.com and have successfully, you, you should see my office over here. I have an 11 pointer up there and a 10 pointer up here, both with a bow. One was from my backyard. Um, but Bob doesn't like hunting. Bow hunting is a little more sporting. Most of them get away. Um, so he's not saying hunting is wrong, but he just couldn't take on the assignment of writing writing copy to sell a series of hunting books. So anyway, on that note, <laughs> let's let you go. Excellent, excellent article, right? When you don't write copy with enthusiasm, you're toast. And I would say when you're trying to help a company grow their business, you need to have even more enthusiasm, which has been my trademark for all these years. And if you want to talk, give me a call. Number's down below. Or go to WDMA.org. John at WDMA.org to reach me. Bye-bye.